hashtag Tim and Friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned in to the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode two, day two of Tim and Friends, live on Sportsnet, 590 The Fan, Sportsnet 360, and Sportsnet, at least for a half an hour. Of course, on day two, we have a 6 p.m. Eastern hockey game, so Hockey Central takes over on Sportsnet starting in a half an hour's time. Damn you, Rangers and Penguins, or just enjoy the Rangers and the Penguins. If you'd rather, Tim and Friends, though, I beg of you, flip over to Sportsnet 360. It's how I make my livelihood. Well, that and Instagram modeling. Another jam-packed show as we introduce the roundtable action to the station. We'll get more reaction on Dak Prescott's new deal with Arash Madani, who joins me in the first hour. And we'll traffic in the speculation around Kyle Lowry and Jack Eichel. Kind of. I'm not really one to peddle nonsense but I will give you the info I'll give you the rumors and I will let you decide old school style before I get into what's going on today allow me to introduce our digital producer for the day fresh off a scrum trolescent debut in which we were trending number three in Canada here's Jesse Rubinoff uh Jesse I was all you yesterday. No, come on, Tim. All you. The show is literally Tim and friends we are all here to elevate you okay mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see about that. Yeah, well, there's a lot going on today. Obviously, you're going to get to the Kyle Lowry news. Mm-hmm. And Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, there has been news about them. They obviously were ruled uh, inactive for the NBA All-Star game. Yes, now, sir. Mark Stein tweeting out they are quarantining for seven days from their last exposure to the person who tested positive. As long as each player continues to test negative, mm. Embiid will be cleared to return to team activities Friday and Simmons on Saturday. So it looks like Simmons will miss at least one game. Well, let's just hope they're good. And yeah, I mean, that's the most important yeah. thing, right? I was yeah, gonna, what I, am I doing? It's just NBA basketball. I was going to break it down and say, well, you know, they're <laughs> team in the end. I'm like, well, let's just hope they're good, yeah. and then we can figure out well, the Well, they rest. tested negative uh, for the time right. being, so knock on wood. Speaking of the Philadelphia 76ers, they might be front and center in the thing that we're about to talk about mm-hmm. right now. Here's what's hot in the sporting world as we speak. The NBA might be a little quiet till the games return tomorrow, but as we know, the NBA is never really quiet. Kyle Lowry's name has been tossed into the hot stove once again. This time, Ryan Rossillo jumped on the Bill Simmons podcast, spatula in hand, and began to stir the pot by saying this. Lowry's been telling everybody for over a month that he is getting traded, which is interesting that he's already like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. So I don't know if that's him saying it. I don't know if that's some understanding that he has with the front office. I don't know that part of it. Um, but whenever you ask about Lowry, you're like, well, he thinks he's leaving. I think they should trade him, by the way. Easy for him to say. At the risk of sounding like a broken record or a song on repeat for the Gen, the Gen Zs out there, Keith Pompey had some rumors in the Philadelphia Inquirer just a couple of weeks ago. Now, Lowry's agent shot those down almost immediately. But as most who follow closely understand, a 34-year-old point guard with championship experience in the final year of his contract is very valuable, especially for anyone trying to take a run, like maybe those Philadelphia 76ers that we were talking about. He decides 
whether he wants to go. But with the Blake Griffin addition in Brooklyn, I think his stock just went up a little more in places like his hometown of Philly. And I bet you Kawhi is whispering his name to the front office in L.A. And the Clippers know the Raptors well enough from their year of tampering, I mean scouting, Kawhi Leonard. With Fred Van Vliet seemingly ready to take on Kyle's role, it seems obvious to me that the Raptors should trade Lowry and get assets back, especially if you know that he's planning on going other places. But Lowry hit IG to say, and I quote on Instagram, the lies people tell in the media are amazing. Don't put thing out when they ain't coming from me. So again, as we have said for a while, Kyle will choose. Everyone agrees that he has earned that right. But I think staying and going is determined on just how good Lowry thinks this team could be in the near and short term. Maybe long term as well, because it makes too much sense that if they're not good enough yet, they trade him to a contender, get something back, and give Lowry the chance to add another chip and maybe another year or two contract with the new team if all goes well. Let us know. My opinion is not the only one. At Tim and Friends, is Kyle going before the deadline? And are you okay with it? At Tim and Friend, Jesse's got you. It's almost like head versus heart here. Sometimes your worst battle is between what you know and what you feel. Kyle isn't the only big name feeling it right now. How about Jack Eichel? Earlier today, Sabres PR lit a fire around the Sabres Center with one tweet. Injury update. Jack Eichel will not play tonight due to an upper body injury. Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse for Buffalo. Seven game losing streak. Then this. Of course, it wasn't just an injury as some net detectives were suggesting. Perhaps there was more to this. Perhaps it was an eye problem, like he couldn't see himself in Buffalo anymore. <laughs> Get an eye problem, see himself in Buffalo. Anywho, Elliot Friedman then followed and quieted. Here's the tweet. We will see where this goes as there are rumblings that Eichel could be out longer term. Now, others remembered back to visuals of him in pain on the bench. And just when you thought it couldn't get any worse for Buffalo, you realize that cheering for the Sabres has become more painful than the time Peter Griffin fell and hurt his knee. That's about what it's like to be a Buffalo Sabres fan right now. Uh, we'll talk more about this when we fire up the roundtable. Cassie Campbell, Pascal, Jennifer Botterill, and Natalie Spooner. We'll also talk about um, the Leafs, the Jets, and the opener of their three-game set tonight, as well as some women's hockey. As mentioned, Arash Madani will join the fray to discuss the DAC deal, along with Pro Football Hall of Famer 
and one of the best to ever do it, Chris Carter, later this hour. And just in case that weren't enough, Tyler O'Neill of the St. Louis Cardinals will join us. I would call him the pride of Maple Ridge, B.C., but there is another dude from Maple Ridge that has kind of claimed that moniker. His name is Larry Walker. All that whole grain goodness. But somehow, I'm stuck on German soccer for first things first. By the way, this is the day. Papa. We learned early this morning that Joachim Löw, the manager of the German national team, Der Mannschaft. What? It, it, it just means the team. Stay with me here, please. The manager of the German national team called Der Mannschaft, Joachim Löw, will step down from his role as manager of one of the best national teams in the world year after year after the Euros. Joachim, lovingly known in Germany as Yogi Löw, by far the biggest Yogi since Yogi Bear or Yogi Berra. Proof? He's got his own song. It sucks. But he's got his own song. Alright, sucks, I get it. You don't get a jingle like that unless you know the sheepdogs. Or you're big time in love. He's big time. His rise from Stuttgart and working in the Austrian Bundesliga has been mediocre. Uh, sorry, mediocre. Not mediocre. Meteoric. <laughs> or both, depending on how you look at it. He is now regularly, though, mentioned as one of the better managers in the world after winning a World Cup, a Confederations Cup, and finishing in the top three in two more major tournaments. He has won the FIFA World Coach of the Year and the title as the best national coach of a decade. Let's be honest, the 61-year-old cuts a stylish figure along the touchline. I mean, slim, stylish, six feet tall, always meticulously groomed. But none of this, none of this is why I will miss him so dearly. If you're eating right now, put it down. The reason I will miss him so much is because despite all that I have mentioned, all the honors, the profile, or the cameras lurking whenever he's on the touchline, my guy is treated coaching in some of the biggest games in the world like he's at home alone on his couch just hunting for exactly what that smell is. That's right. Yogi Love is a scratcher and a sniffer. No matter when or what the occasion or how many million are watching this suave and sophisticated pro turns into Cro-Magnum man quicker than you can say, Schweinsteiger! It says in my script, Germany really stunk it up. What the hell is that? He went to the front and to the back. No, Watch no. his hands. No. Watch his hands. No. Watch his hands. No. Was there talk in the team after Lur's scratch and sniff video was published on the internet? And what did the team make of it? 
It's not an issue within the team because I think 80% of you and I scratch our balls from time to time. So everything is fine. Oh, Lucas Podolski. Oh, joke him love. My 83-year-old dad wanted to know what today's monologue was. I told him his response was no. Not at dinner time. But let's be honest. I don't think you will ever see another man like Yogi Love again. All that style. All that profile, all that experience in the spotlight, and yet still, the only grown-ass man I know to actually have the guts to test the age-old theory espoused by four-year-old boys across North America and attempt to see if, in fact, you pick your nose and you pick your bum, do you really have some bubble gum? In the end, we only regret the chances we didn't take. I'm kidding. That's bleeping disgusting. I may regret that chance. Jesse, show two, and I go to Yogi Love. (laughs) Uh, What a start. (laughs) You miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. (laughs) Michael Scott said that. Wayne Gretzky said that. Uh, Probably a good time to bring in my first co-host of the day, a man who... Like me as a sports dude through and through, he's probably disgusted right now, but when I first met him, I was watching tape of Carlton basketball, and I thought, man, this Rogers Cable 10 play-by-play guy in Ottawa is really good. So I got his name, I called him up, and I asked if I could steal some of the stories that he was telling on the air, and I've been stealing ever since. Ladies and gentlemen, our first contributor of the day is my friend and yours, Arash Badani. Arash Dermanshaft. Well, yeah, yeah, that's the name of the team. Dermanshaft. That is that is the nickname of the I'm team. I'm like, why do we have adult film stars? Bro? Why are we talking about that here today? <laughs> Dermanshaft. Is that that's what you took out of all that? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't any of the scratching. By the way, good the monologue. Just one thing. You had Raj and Stuttgart at the same time. You didn't get the rise Stuttgart. Right. Raj. Raj and Stuttgart. Yes. There it is, Raj. I've got it. Uh, yesterday, Jesse, Danielle, and I. Uh, didn't get a lot of time on. Sorry, I'm leaning back from my microphone. I'm getting oh, right. way too relaxed here. <laughs> sure. I'm uh, way too relaxed. Because we need these mics for radio and these mics Thanks for, for TV. TV. Correct. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm screwing up the radio audience here. It took two weeks for me when I was hosting the co-hosting the old show to figure that one out. <laughs> that is, right. So Bishop's we, education. We didn't get the chance. Carlton education, where the K stands for quality, <laughs> right. my friend, as yes. you well know. Uh, we didn't get the chance to really hammer down on the Dak Prescott because it basically broke at the end of the mm-hmm. show. What was your reaction to the $160 million deal, $124 million of that guaranteed for Dak Prescott? How did eight months ago Patrick Mahomes, coming off winning a Super Bowl, get a contract where the guaranteed money through the first three years is half of what Dak's guaranteed money is the first three years? Mm-hmm. That's crazy to me. Look, Prescott's the best quarterback the Dallas Cowboys have had since Troy Aikman. Right. That goes without saying. Oh, Tony Romo smashing the face from a rash. Danny, go ahead. (laughs) I agree, though, so it's okay. (laughs) Um, Double the guaranteed money that Patrick Mahomes, who is the best... He's the best quarterback in football today, and he's going to be the best quarterback in football for quite some time... And he's not coming off a catastrophic injury. And you look at 
Dallas, and they now have the second highest paid quarterback in the game and the second highest paid running back in the game and a top four paid receiver in the game and three of the top 40 offensive linemen in the game and the sixth highest paid defensive player in the game. So how are you going to get to 53 players on your roster? I was gonna say, and a terrible defense. After you, I mean, you put one guy in there that was paid right. high, but their defense has been awful, and I don't know how they're still not mediocre. And all of this goes back to last year. And I know that Dak turned down a deal. Yes, and Dak was part of this equation. But I just can't help but think if they had have got this done last year, they would have just saved all of the drama that it seems like they're addicted to in Big D. So here's what I'm gonna tell you. The Cowboys were right not paying Dak last year. Their mistake was paying Dak yesterday. Their mistake is giving a big contract to a quarterback at all. Let's explain that to the folks at home because so, I don't think they get that. So, so this is it. If you want to win in the National Football League, this is what you have to start doing. You have to start drafting a quarterback in the first round every three or four years, no matter how good he is one caveat Patrick Mahomes outside of that I don't care if it's Rodgers I don't care if it's Breeze I don't care if it's Lamar I don't care who it is and right now Jacksonville has gone out and given the farm given all the money in the world and all the power in the world to Urban Meyer who has never coached a minute in this league and this is my advice to Herb you know what Urban Meyer needs to do this week? Begin finding Trevor Lawrence's replacement, or the heir apparent to Zach Wilson. However Jacksonville goes with the top pick next month is not the issue here. More that the Jaguars must soon begin the process of identifying their starter for 2026. Because it's as simple as this. Unless it is quite clear that Lawrence or Wilson will be the next Patrick Mahomes, Urban Meyer needs to draft another quarterback in the first round either three or four years from now. Or, Orola Herb will be back in the Fox studios making yet another public pitch to get himself a college job. You do have to evaluate your staff, your assistant coaches, because when you start talking about talent acquisition, that's called recruiting, that fits your puzzle, or are they being developed? I get it, this all sounds crazy, right? You draft a quarterback with the hopes they'll be there forever. Like Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, a statue on the way. He brought a title to title town in his third year at the controls. He was ready to begin a dynasty. Except the Packers haven't been back since. The confetti fell on Drew Brees and his kid had the headphones on and neither have had another Super Bowl appearance. Matter of fact, look at pro football's champion since the 2011 CBA was struck. Joe Flacco is in that final year of his rookie deal when he survived the power outage in the Superdome to lift the Lombardi and Super Bowl MVP trophies. Their owner afterwards said Baltimore had found his quarterback for the next decade. They gave Flacco the bag, $69 million in signing bonuses alone. Well, five years into it, Lamar Jackson was drafted, and you know the story from there. Seattle won with Russell Wilson's salary being $662,000. He's made $160 million since and is now unhappy because the Seahawks can't build around him. Think his cap hit may have something to do with how often he's sacked? The pressure on Russell Wilson and, and him having to carry the load and, and do everything 
so perfectly to give this team a chance. It kind of all caught up with them a little bit. Brady, of course, famously never played for the Max. He's won four since Eli took him down the last time. And even when escaping the Patriot way, Tom Terrific's cash payment in Tampa last season was 11 million less than what the hopeless one in Minnesota got paid in the pandemic year. Casey won with Mahomes on a rookie deal. The Philly special was called and caught by a backup at the position. Peyton Manning took a pay cut before 2015 to help pay for a defense that was instrumental in the Broncos winning the 50th Super Bowl. Two-time Super Bowl champion. A final star turn it is for Peyton. And the Denver Broncos have taken Super Bowl 50. Five years ago, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz went one and two overall. Goff took the Rams to the Super Bowl on a rookie deal. Wentz had Philly cooking with that 11 and one record before his knee came apart. Then they both got paid and LA and Philly regretted it almost from the moment those deals were signed. Young Jared Goff is gonna have to make a throw. Bad throw. Jared Goff's gotta make this completion. Carson Wentz is taking a lot of heat for the Eagles' winless start. No quarterback in the league has turned it over more than Carson Wentz. You just don't know what's gonna happen here. Now really think about this. No first round quarterback picked between 2009 and 2016 is still with the team that drafted them. So over the next few weeks, we'll hear a lot about Trevor Lawrence and the noise around Zach Wilson and his accuracy is going to build in the lead up to late April. But if Urban Meyer is to succeed in the NFL, he has to rely on what got him to the league to begin with. Identify the best high school quarterback today so he can draft him four years from now. Or draft and develop. But I think what you're saying here is if you are paying a quarterback beyond his rookie year, he better be one of the top one or one. two in the league. One. One. Mahomes. Mahomes. And, and nobody else. So KC's in a good spot. Tampa's in a good spot because Tom Brady doesn't take as much as everybody else. Here's what's going to happen in about three years. Kansas City is either going to restructure or release Patrick Mahomes because his cap hit that year is $56 million. Now... The TV money is going to be crazy. Right. Amazon's coming in to get the Thursday night streaming deal. The networks are going to pay more. The cap is going to go up after 2021. Right. Fans will be back in the seats. But it still makes no sense. You cannot build a football team when your quarterback is taking almost a quarter of your cap. Russell Wilson's tired of being hit as often as he is. Russ, you're making $40 million. You cannot go get an offensive line and skilled position players and bring in the Legion of Boom like you did when you were winning that championship. And so if you're going to make this thing happen, either have, either have Giselle as your wife or she's going to make double what you make right. and you can play for less. Or if you're a football team, draft every three years because you have that player in the first round. Um, you have him under team control for five years. You know what's funny is you say first round, but when you look at the GOATs, Tom Brady, sixth round, Joe Montana, third round, even Patrick Mahomes, Trubisky was taken before him. Right. So draft and develop, but the window shrinking by the minute. How worried are they in Buffalo right now with Josh <laughs> Allen? What right. do you do? You right. waited a generation to replace Jim Kelly. You have him. Uh, can you afford you to him. keep Diggs and everybody else? You pay him because you're afraid you're going to lose him, and that's what's happening in the NFL. But there will be a sea change. There will be a sea change, and we'll talk about it. Stick around? Yeah. Arash Madani sticking around. Time for a break. 
In fact, we are losing Sportsnet as Hockey Central is coming up ahead of the Penguins and Rangers. It's a 6 p.m. Eastern puck drop. As for us, we will continue on Sportsnet 360, so flip over if you can. Sportsnet 590, the fan, all the way, as always, until 7 p.m. Eastern. Plenty still to chop up on the second ever edition of Tim and Friends. Please stick around. I need you. Should Toronto trade Kyle Lowry? The word on that one is that Lowry's been telling everybody for over a month that he is getting traded. Greatest Raptor of all time. Oh, yeah. There's no question. Lowry for three. Bang! Lowry to the basket. Bangs it home. Kyle Lowry, sensational. We the North are now we the champions. Dak Prescott is getting Hey, hey! The Cowboys won the Super Bowl today. This is as close as they're going to get. This is Jerry Jones' Super Bowl. Look at Carey Price, desperado. And it's just desperation. is trying to get a piece of it. Tim McAuliffe and Arash is my friend right now. At least I think we are. You paid to appear here or you just paid as an employee of Sportsnet? Uh, yeah, no extra. No, no side <laughs> hustles around here anymore, McAuliffe. Let me see. I left my wallet upstairs. As for you I feel like success. As usual. <laughs> uh, this is Tim and Friends. Still to come, a roundtable on hockey and the St. Louis Cardinals' Tyler O'Neill. It just feels like we're getting to the good part of the year in Canada when we start talking baseball. Yes. And I know you're a big, among all things, you're wearing the Vikings thing. Vikings t-shirt, I believe. Well, it's not even a Vikings t-shirt. It's, it's Joe Buck's call of the Minneapolis Miracle. Dig, sideline, <laughs> touchdown, right. unbelievable. Right. Well, we're going to be talking to a great Minnesota Vikings receiver in just a moment here. You know what's amazing as a Vikings fan? Winning a divisional playoff game is like the best moment in the last 12 years in franchise history. <laughs> yeah, I One know. win. One playoff win. But you have to build. Or no, I guess they Look at New Buffalo. Orleans. Buffalo waited too. And then they went and got the best receiver on the Vikings. Yeah. And yeah. Turned him. All right. We continue our football chat. The Buffalo best. didn't go give all the money to Kirk Cousins, McAuliffe. <laughs> no, they did not. Golly. We continue our football chat the best way we know how. Joining the fray is not only an eight-time Pro Bowler. He is one of just 14 men with over 1,000 career receptions. He's got over 1,100. He's a former NFL Man of the Year and as you can see, if you're watching TV right now, he is the owner of a gold jacket. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Chris Carter back to Tim and Friends. Chris, how are you? Very good. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. We're, we're happy to have you. Uh, Rash brought up a great conversation about how hard it is to win when your quarterback is, is making a ton of money. Like the window is either you have Tom Brady and maybe Patrick Mahomes or you catch lightning in a right. bottle with your quarterback on a rookie deal like the Seahawks did with Russell Wilson. Do you see that too? Do you see how tough it is when teams start paying their quarterback like the Dallas Cowboys just paid Dak Prescott to continue winning and surrounding him with the players they need to win? Well, where you see it suffering is the general managers are not putting those types of resources into the offensive line. So there has to be some type of compromise. Typically, 
a quarterback getting that type of contract. They're going to put some skilled guys, that being running backs, that being patch catchers, wide receivers, and tight ends to be able to protect that asset. If you look up and down that list, Deshaun Watson, who do they have? Russell Wilson, he just got loaded. Aaron Rodgers has complained about receivers. Patrick Mahomes has many wide receivers and tight ends and running backs to throw to. So this is a copycat league. Um, so teams will still try to give their quarterbacks an opportunity to reach their potential. I heard you guys earlier in the show talking about the growth of Buffalo and look what they did. What did they do? They went out and added, you know, one of our favorite players, Stefan Diggs from the Vikings, and it allowed their quarterback, Josh Allen, to reach a level that they thought when they drafted him that he could reach. So, yes, you do realize that if you pay your quarterback, you can't win without a good quarterback, but you need competent people in the front office that can manage that salary cap and realize that I need some big people. I need some hogs up front. I need some fat guys. I need some blubber. Because you're not going to win in the NFL unless you have a little blubber. But, Chris, I, I look at it. I don't think you need an elite quarterback to win in the NFL. I really don't. Joe Flacco on a rookie contract. Last year of his rookie contract, I they totally win. disagree with you. Jared Goff, get, he's an okay quarterback. They get to a Super Bowl if they could score one touchdown that game. Um, I disagree with that. Jared Goff is better than okay. So your first two points, both of them I disagree with, but you're on a roll. <laughs> but okay, okay is Kirk Cousins. Okay is Jared Goff. They're getting $33 million. Right. You can, you I can, think Jared Goff's a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins. Jared Goff well, did get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, but, but Chris, you didn't play with a quarterback as terrible as Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is, is maybe the worst quarterback we've ever seen. I, I mean, it's just it's ridiculous guys who can't play getting this money because GMs are trying to overcome their mistake of drafting them or signing them as free agents and double down just to save their own butt. Okay, well, let's just dial it back a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Kirk Cousins can play the game of football, and he can play at a high level. Now, you might not like his style. You might not like the way he looks, but his overall results, he does not throw a lot of interceptions, very, very bright um, as far as understanding the scheme, doesn't throw the ball in the coverage, protects his receivers, and you can win some games. Just in the league now where we have – I think the best top to bottom quarterbacks that the bottom of the league is better than it's ever been. It's going to be hard to win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback. But for you saying Kirk Cousins can't play, he's had too many 4,000 yard seasons to can't play. Like guys who can't play don't have 4,000 yard seasons. They don't have wide receivers go to the Pro Bowl. You don't have rookies develop like Justin Jefferson. So I can understand as a Vikings fan, you might be frustrated, but I have to be fair. I've been watching the NFL. This is my fifth decade, either being in the NFL or covering the NFL. So I have to be fair. I understand when guys stink, they throw interceptions in games. When it's the big moment against the Packers, they don't step up. I understand that. But we can't say the guy can't play the quarterback position. Okay, let me rephrase. He just can't play it well. <laughs> In the when big, it matters. 4,000 yards would suggest otherwise. But I know, I know when it matters. Or in and January. The I think we're hearing frustration, Francisco. Mr. Carter. I think we're hearing frustration. Um, the one thing that I always point to when it comes to quarterbacks is the GOATs were picked. Like Tom Brady is the GOAT, sixth rounder. 
if it was Joe Montana before Tom Brady, he was a third rounder. Even Patrick Mahomes, who went in the first round, went after Mitchell Trubisky. Why does it seem like there's so much value on the first overall pick, but for every Peyton Manning, there's a guy that was drafted, put in the right system, maybe had to wait a little while. But why, why do we see that so much in quarterbacks, Chris? Um, it's just not in quarterbacks. It's in other players. We just talk about the quarterbacks more. 99% of all the players over the last 100, 101 seasons we've had in the NFL, they're system players. Now, you do have a generational players. Lawrence Taylor, no matter if he's in a 34 or 43, I don't care if they play a 2-7, he's going to be a Hall of Fame player. Jim Brown, he's going to average over 100 yards a game. Barry Sanders, I don't care what type of offense they're going to be. Dan Marino, they could have been playing two-hand touch. These guys are blessed. They're the one percenter. But it's the rest of us, like we need a supporting cast. Like we need a team around us that can bring out your skills, can really um, hide your weaknesses. So that's what you need, and that's what you're seeing. And guys can come from anywhere. My buddy Johnny Randall was an undrafted free agent, street free agent, drew up, grew up with no plumbing in his house in Texas, West Texas, and he made it to the Hall of Fame. So the quarterback position they can do. Kurt Warner can bag groceries. Warren Moon can be basically blackballed as a black quarterback, not allowed to come, go to, go to the CFL, star, for six seasons, then come back home and become a Hall of Fame player. So there's a lot of routes that you can get to the dance. Guys just want the opportunity and need something surrounding them. It's the ultimate team sport, and I think that's the reflection. Joe Montana got to San Francisco at the right time when Bill Walsh was evolving this West Coast offense yeah. because I was talking to Urban Meyer, and, um, and we were talking football, and I told him that who was New England before Tom Brady? Who was San Francisco before they got Joe Montana? They were both perennial losers. So you can draft a guy, a dude, as we call him, and he can take your franchise to that level, and you can ride on that for a long time. So that's what you saw in those draft picks as far as Montana and Tom Brady, them evolving at the right time with Belichick and Bill Walsh, I would think two of the best five coaches that we've ever had in the NFL. So who's Urban's dude, Chris? Is it uh, Trevor Lawrence or is it Zach Wilson? I mean, I'm not going to, I can't share the personnel information <laughs> because Urban and I, Urban actually coached me at Ohio State, and um, I'm not going to share that information. I, I, I believe that he deserves the right first time as an NFL coach to be able to study it, look at it. He has not made up his mind, but it's hard to pass over sunshine. Right. And that's the guy that looks like a surfer and has the highest <laughs> one of the highest ratings ever by Mel Kuyper. Ever. I mean, he's in the breath of John Elway, Peyton Manning, Luck. When you when you say from the beginning, this is who this guy has the potential to be. So you have to get all the information and do all your research um, on that type of player. But I believe Trevor Lawrence will be special um, in the NFL. He'll be a special player. Um, for a long time. You, you didn't mention Cousins in that list, by the way, just for the record, CC. Just, 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 just to be clear, when you were listing the best, you didn't mention Cousins. That's all I'm saying, Eight Zero. That's all. He's good. He's good. Uh, hey, before we let you go, we only got about 30 seconds here. I know you had some insight on Kawhi Leonard when he ended up going to the Clippers. 
Uh, there's some Lowry stuff in the news. You don't have anything on Kyle Lowry, do you? Because folks up here might be scared. No, I, right. I think what Toronto is doing, um, you know, they're going to make some players available. But no, the quiet thing was a special, special relationship that I followed. Um, I'm no NBA insider or information. No, I'll just stick to the NFL and a little bit of college football. Uh, we will take that. And uh, is that a pandemic puppy behind you? Did you get a Did you get a new dog, or is that just a little dog? Come here. This is Lola. Hey, oh. look at Lola. <laughs> oh, with the bow tie on the back. Look at that. Uh, we appreciate you bringing you and your friends into Tim and Friends, as always. Oh, thank you, guys. Looking forward to seeing you guys soon, talking to you soon. Be well. You and Lola. Right. I knew there was a puppy running around there. I could see it in the background on the Zoom call. 18-year-old Arash was just going nuts there for the last 10 <laughs> minutes, by the way. All he does is catch touchdowns. All he does is catch touchdowns. What an offense that was. Yeah. A couple years, Gary. flashes, but they were the Vikings, so I guess they couldn't get through. Gary Anderson, Dermanshaft himself. And then Brett Favre did it, too. Very close. Very close. Come on your show. <laughs> Sorry. Just, hey. Salt in the wound? Why this is it? Just twist the, the knife? This what? is just the truth. And okay. Kurt isn't that bad, but he's just not that good either. He's terrible. All right, time for a break. Still to come, a roundtable discussion. Cassie Campbell-Pascal, Jennifer Botterill, Natalie Spooner, as we talk about issues facing the women's game, and plenty of NHL talk as well. Tim and Friends continues with Arash Madani. Next on Sportsnet 360 and 590 The Fan. Tim and friends right here on Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Um, we've got a roundtable to talk about hockey in the second hour. We have some insight. Daryl Sutter, his first practice today as the head coach of the Calgary Flames, at least again. And what the hell's going on in Buffalo? Jack Eichel now out, and it doesn't look like it is a trade rumor. It looks like he might be out for an extended period of time. They're in some trouble. Is Sutter going with Aginla and Lanko on the top line? <laughs> Are Regeer and Fanuf going to be the top pairing? Like what's? Yeah, they were that close. Some unfinished business in Calgary for Daryl Sutter, although it seems. Uh, yesterday, we lost another classic Canadian when we heard that Real Cormier was taken from us way before us, uh, way before his time. And I know as one fellow East Coaster to another, you felt like this guy never really got his due in Canada. Yeah, I think, and I texted you this earlier today, I, I really believe Cormier is one of the most underappreciated Canadian athletes of this generation. And there, there's a real good chance that you don't even know who Real Cormier is. This dude, Timmy, competed for Canada in the 1988 Seoul Olympics. Yeah. And then the 2008 Beijing Olympics. And through those two decades... He sandwiched, oh, a 16-season big league career, um, blew out his shoulder, had Tommy John continue to come back, played in St. Louis and Philly, in Boston and Montreal. But uh, on top of that, he continued to answer the call for his country. It didn't matter if it was Pan Ams, yeah. World Baseball Classic, Olympics. And he's 41 years old. His, his major league career is over. And he went and started pitching for the Moncton Mets like a senior baseball league team in Moncton. Uh, when Denny Boucher, who was the, on the coaching staff of Team Canada for the Beijing Olympics, went and visited him, and he's like, well, if you're doing this, man, um, you're on the team. And, uh, and 
you know, so often we, we showcase so many different Canadian athletes on this show and on this network. And, I, you know, uh, rest easy, Real, uh, taken way too soon at the age of 53. But what a Canadian, what a big leaguer. Only Paul Quantrill has pitched more innings among any Canadians in the history of Major League Baseball. Quantrill, uh, 841 uh, Cormier, 683. It's amazing. I had a bunch of stats lined up on the sheet here. You rattled through a bunch of them. And it wasn't just the Olympics. It was every time every time Canada called, right? Yes. And it's so funny because we, we look at hockey and some guys will say, well, you know, when we go here, we look at basketball. Well, when, you know, it seems like for some reason. Well, we have some- a charter plane. <laughs> yes. Right. And But when it comes to Canada baseball, guys show up, even guys who have been in the league for 16 years show up again and again. So uh, good on you for bringing up uh, Real Cormier. Um, Jesse, I know that you've got more based on our opening conversation surrounding Mm -hmm. Kyle Lowry and a lot of Canadians wanting to weigh in on what will happen with Kyle Lowry. Yeah, but you think most Raptors fans would want to keep Kyle Lowry, but as it turns out, based on the mentions, there are some Raptor fans out there who do think that it would be okay if the Raptors maybe sold high on Kyle Lowry. So why don't we take a look at what the people are saying about Kyle Lowry. Uh, Travis says, I'm okay with Lowry getting traded. If Lowry is okay with getting traded, he has earned it. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Hate to see him go, but I get the business side of the game. Best Raptor of all time. David, I'd be upset if Lowry wasn't traded. Got to sell that stock high. That makes a lot of sense, I think, from a team-building perspective. It's just a matter of whether you're going to be okay with seeing Lowry in another uniform. And Kai says, I love Lowry, but if... What's best for him and the Raptors is to move on, then I am all for it. At some point, this team will have to take, ask themselves, when do they start looking to our future and saying goodbye to the past? I think we remember the outpouring of support when DeMar DeRozan left. It would be uh, probably just as crazy, if not yeah. way crazier, if yeah. Kyle Lowry eventually got traded. You got one more on that timeline? I do, yes. Right. So uh, Chris Johnson also says uh, nothing to do with Kyle Lowry, but a pretty significant deal Oof. here. ESPN is signing a seven-year deal with the NHL as part of the league's new U.S. media rights package. So a huge deal on the TV side for the NHL. We're going to talk to CJ in the next hour. Rash, I'll give you your choice, Lowry or that, because that's pretty significant for the NHL. There had been rumors that ESPN was going to get back into hockey, uh, but this seems like it's a little bit of both, right? Like broadcast on TV and the streaming rights seem important to ESPN. Yeah, ESPN is basically kicking so many of its properties over to ESPN Plus, which is part of the whole Disney Plus deal. And streaming is going to be a big part of this, I have to believe. But it would not surprise me if ESPN ends up as a Stanley Cup final rights holder, not for the entirety of the, of the deal. The NHL may end up packaging this out the way they do football. Right. And ESPN's about to lock up a big NFL deal, which me and there's there's a lot of rumblings that Super Bowl may be included in that. So in the rotation, it may not just be Fox, NBC, CBS. Either ESPN or ABC may enter that too. I, I think they're going all in on sports, and the, you know, yeah. this has been rumored for a while, and this is exactly what Gary Bettman has wanted for quite some time. And where it ends up will, I mean, I guess the NHL is in a spot where you take money. You want money. Money is what you need, especially after this pandemic. The exposure, though, especially in the United States, and I don't know how many times we've had this conversation, is important. And if you're being kicked to streaming, I know that Gen Zers are there. I know that millennials are there. 
but will you capture them if it's streaming? Like that's the one thing about the way sports is going that strikes me is how do you get new fans if you're sending them to spots where they have to already know about the game? Well, uh, I'll say this. Out uh, pre-pandemic, I used to travel a lot. Yeah. And I'd be in the States a lot. And unless I was at, unless I was covering hockey, anything else I would cover, you'd just be at a bar, a restaurant, whatever, Fine. on the TV. There is, not only is ESPN on, but on the highlight shows that are just on without volume, there are no hockey highlights. Suddenly, hockey is going to be on a lot more TVs on mute when you're going for your happy hour cocktails and your post-dinner. If it's on the broadcast network. If it's streaming? No, but it'll just be on their highlight shows. Right. All right. That's what you're saying. They yeah. now have an investment into showing hockey, whereas before they'd be showing Division Two football highlights over that. <laughs> right. I got you. Uh, listen, uh, wouldn't be uh, Tim and friends if you didn't stop by in the first week. Great Thank you, you very much for doing this. Good luck with everything, man. Look forward to being back. And uh, are you over Chris Carter yet? That was awesome. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Vikings fan Chris Carter, not bad. All right, hour two of Tim and friends on the way. Up next, Chris Johnston drops by live from Scotiabank Arena on the heels of that news about ESPN and the NHL. And then, of course, the first of three between the Jets and Leafs. We'll get the latest on Austin Matthews' wrist next, right here on Tim and Friends. Sportsnet 360 and 590 The Fan. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. You and Curry, day two. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Coming up this hour, our first roundtable, Cassie Campbell-Pasco, Natalie Spooner, Jennifer Botterill will join me. We will discuss the Secret Dream Gap Tour and what's next for the PWHPA, plus the latest from around the NHL. But first, let's get you caught up to date in the starting lineup. Just one game in the North Division tonight. The Jets are in Toronto for the first of three straight against the Leafs who are coming off consecutive regulation losses for the first time this season. Sportsnet.ca's Chris Johnson, he of Hockey Night in Canada, is also joining us uh, from Scotiabank Arena. Chris, Austin Matthews uh, hasn't scored in three games since he returned from the wrist injury yesterday. He and Sheldon Keefe admitted it's still bothering him. So some Leaf fans out there saying if he's still hurt, why is he playing? Well, I think it's a fair question, Tim. You know, just because, you know, the Leafs do have a pretty uh, healthy lead in the North Division. You know, at this point, from what I can gather, Austin really wants to play. You know, obviously a competitive guy. And, and the doctors have determined that he can't make uh, this wrist injury any worse by, by going through competition. But, you know, I wonder how this week will shape up. This is the first of four games in six days for the Leafs and so you know if he plays tonight and maybe isn't feeling great you know I don't think it's a total foregone conclusion he'll play all these games but you know like all of us he's day-to-day at the moment and I think they'll just monitor him as he goes through this. All right we've heard rumors that the Leafs might be looking to add a top six forward deadline still more than a month away but because of quarantine rules does it feel like Canadian teams if they're going to do anything they got to do it sooner rather than later? 
Well, they'd certainly prefer that. You know, having to have a player, it's not only just a 14-day quarantine, that, that you know, person can't be on the ice during that time. So, you know, there's a certain period once they get out of quarantine that they have to get skating again and get up to speed before they're, they're you know, eligible to go into games. And, you know, I think ideally if you look at the Leafs' schedule, you know, after this busy week that they have right now that I mentioned, you know, the next two weeks are very quiet. They have two four-day breaks between games. And so if this was a perfect world, I'm sure Kyle Dubas would like to make a move in the coming days. It would allow, you know, whatever player they're bringing in, if, if he was coming from the U.S., to, to serve that quarantine, not miss many games, and then be ready, you know, before the end of March to join the team. You know, I certainly don't think you're going to see Canadian teams get too deep into April and make moves just because the regular season ends May 8th. I mean, it almost at some point becomes where it's, it's not worth it, especially if we're talking about rental players that are only there for the remainder of the season. All right, a super quick headlines with you with a very less talented host. Uh, Jack Eichel, <laughs> a lot of people were suggesting that it might be always oh, going to get traded, but it looks like this is a real injury when it comes to the Sabres centerman, and what a tough break if it is. Yeah, it, it does sound that way, Tim. It's, it's hard to get exactly to the heart of the matter here. There's not a lot of clarity on Jack Eichel's specific situation other right. than, you know, he's, he's out injured tonight. But, you know, there's certainly some murmurs that this is a long-term issue. Uh, that, that he's dealing with. And again, it's a short season. There's not that much time left. And so, you know, who knows, you know, how long he'll be on the sidelines, especially the way Buffalo is going. I mean, clearly, uh, I don't think that's a team fighting for a playoff spot. And so I, I would be surprised if you saw him trying to gut through anything if he's not at 100%. Rash and I just talking about the NHL and ESPN deal that you tweeted about uh, last block. Uh, what can you tell us about this deal? Well, it's major news for the NHL. You know, ESPN gives them a relevancy that, that they don't have, I think, at the moment in their current deal. I mean, as Arash was saying, they're going to be mentioned on Stephen A. Smith's show. You know, all, all the other programs on ESPN that draw a lot of eyeballs and still uh, is a main part of the sporting conversation. And that's why they're essentially getting the A package here. They're getting four of the seven Stanley Cup finals during this, this seven-year deal. Uh, they're getting some streaming rights for their Disney platforms. And I think it's pretty clear that, you know, whoever comes in here as a secondary company will be the secondary company. And that hasn't been decided just yet. It's only this deal that's been agreed to. Uh, the NHL still talking to NBC, its current partner. I think Fox Sports has expressed some interest. And I do expect a, another streaming service will be part of the ultimate package the NHL signs. But, um, you know, ESPN is the big fish, and that's the one the NHL's landed here. Hey, Stephen A. Smith, no Tim and friends. Thank you for being a friend, CJ, and doing this with us. Love it, Tim. Keep it up, bud. Thank you, brother. There is uh, Chris Johnson following strip protocols down at Scotiabank Arena, sporting a very fancy mask. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Cheers, there bud. Is Chris Johnson, uh, new Flames head coach. Daryl Sutter was on the ice for the first time uh, with his new old team earlier today in Calgary. Sutter will have... Two practice days with the team before he makes his debut behind the bench Thursday against the Canadians. And he seems to have made a good early impression on the boys. Practice was good. It was fast. It was up-tempo. Um, guys were moving. Um, I mean, it's definitely the best practice we've had in a while. It was just very business-like today. Um, there's no messing around. You have a guy who's a proven winner. He's coming in with that winning mentality. And, and um, that's what... Uh, you know, it was exciting and, and very fast tempo practice. Everybody was in early and we had a good meeting and and uh, went over as much as we as we could without overloading them. Um, and then go out in the ice and, and get to work. And, and uh, yeah, it was a good vibe. It was a good feeling. It was good to be in there. And 
It's nice to be back in the, in the locker room again. Seems like they had good tempo, Jesse. Elias uh, Pedersen <laughs> will be out for at least another week, according to Canucks head coach uh, Travis Green. Pedersen has missed the last three games with an upper body injury. The Canucks, though, 3-0 and in those games. Thank you, Thatcher Demko. The NBA trade deadline is just over two weeks away, and Kyle Lowry was trending today after the Ringers. Ryan Rossillo said in the podcast that Lowry had, quote, been telling everybody for a month he's getting traded. Now, Lowry, for his part, posted on his Instagram account today, the lies people tell in the media are amazing. Don't put things out when they ain't come from me. Take that for what it is. Does that mean he's not going anywhere? To baseball, and after an off day Monday, the Blue Jays are back in action today. They were hosting the Phillies in Dunedin. George Springer was scratched from the lineup due to abdominal tightness. Teams said it was a precautionary move and that Springer did complete a full workout today. Just in case you were panicking, full workout today. Steven Matz got the start for the Jays. He allowed just one hit over three innings while striking out three. Marcus Simeon started at second base and had a double and a run scored while Slimmy, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., scored a run and drove in a run and played six error-free innings at third base. Jays win it 4-1. They improved to 5-3 this spring. Staying with the Jays, the reason why we told you the Steven Matz news is because Nate Pearson threw long toss today as he continues to work his way back from a groin strain. Jays president Mark Shapiro said today that it is unlikely he will be ready to start the season in the Jays rotation. Pearson isn't back in time. Shapiro said that Ross Stripling would take his place in the rotation. So what, Ray 2, Mats 3? RBC Canadian Open has been cancelled for the second straight year. Golf Canada made that announcement this morning, citing logistical challenges related to the pandemic. This year's tournament was scheduled to be held at St. George's in Toronto beginning on June 7th. And that is the starting lineup. Uh, Jesse, anything that you want to jump in on? Anything that the folks at home are jumping in on via at Tim and Friends? Yeah, there is. So, Chris Johnston, obviously, that's a huge scoop. Seven-year deal with ESPN. And we do have some chatter online about this deal now. ESPN, they like to talk a lot about LeBron James. I don't know if you noticed mm-hmm. in Instagrams and tweets, etc. And Tyler says... Can't wait to hear them talk about LeBron during the Stanley Cup final. Just a way to work it in, you know? You're going to have to do it. You know what? This is, we have 41 seconds left in this uh, segment. And I wish I could spend a lot more time here. Isn't that good? Yes. Like, wouldn't it be good for the NHL to have, like I've been saying all along, and I talked to Greg Sansoni who works Mm. on the schedule for the NHL a couple times. It should be championship week. Yeah. They should go NBA game, NHL game, NBA game, NHL game, and you're cro- you're cross pollinating. This is good for the NHL to have. I know what you're saying. Oh, too much LeBron James. They'll be talking about him during the NHL. That's good for the NHL. Yes. And by the way, if you're watching in Canada, you're watching on Sportsnet. There you go. After the break, our first Tim and Sid <laughs> roundtable. Did Tim and Sid again. We got all smooth. That's five bucks. Five Five bucks bucks go in the jar. Tim and Friends. Our first Tim and Friends roundtable is assembled. Cassie Campbell-Pascal, Jennifer Botterill, Natalie Spooner, 
fired up, ready to talk about the women's game and the hot button issues in the NHL. Grab a seat. Roundtable next on Tim and Friends. 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 Welcome back to Tim and Friends, episode number two here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and Sportsnet 360. Off the top of episode one, I made a couple of promises. One, that I would get by with a little help from my friends. So we have decided every once in a while to gather a roundtable to discuss the hot-button topics of the day. And two, I never want to be disingenuous or phony when it comes to doing the right thing. Now, yesterday may have been International Women's Day or just day in English, but that doesn't mean that we drop it and forget about it till next year. We've been here and we will stay here. So with that in mind, I've assembled a roundtable of folks that I have a ton of respect for who also happen to be women. So let's talk some hockey as we bring in Cassie Campbell-Pascal, Jennifer Botterill, and gold medal in your face, Natalie Spooner. Thank you guys for jumping on this first ever roundtable on Tim and Friends. Great to be here. Thanks for letting us be your friend. I appreciate that. (laughs) I need a few. I'm going to need a few. Okay, I want to get to the Eichel stuff in Buffalo, uh, the crazy swings in the North and the Jets and the Leafs starting a three-game series. But... One of the things I thought about earlier during the pandemic was the momentum it seemed like women's hockey was gathering and just how much this whole COVID thing has hurt the women's game. But this weekend, I'm watching the Secret Dream Gap Tour live on major networks in Canada and the United States. Cassie, I'll start with you. Do you feel like we're going to be able to get that momentum back for women's hockey? Oh, without question. I think... uh... We had sort of a little blip on the radar, if you will, with COVID hitting the way it did. And and these current players, you know, what they've been doing over the last few years, first of all, with the PWHPA and essentially putting their careers on hold to fight for a better future for women's hockey. And then to also get hit sort of by COVID. And of course, you know, there's so many more serious issues and in, in people who are losing their lives through it. But through a sport perspective, um, you know, it's been real difficult on them physically, mentally, and, and just trying to make sure that they're preparing for the next Olympics. And you know, their messaging and what they've done, it's been tremendous. And, you know, obviously I think COVID hit women's hockey a little bit, but, you know, I don't think anything's going to keep us down. And I really feel that we're probably at the most positive stage right now. And maybe if COVID hadn't hit, we'd probably already have an announcement about a true professional league. So I'm going to stay positive throughout all of this. And I, I, I see a really bright future in the uh, near future. Well, we hear that that near future, Jennifer, if you want to follow up on that, is that how we start getting that momentum back? Is that how we start building on the momentum that has already been gained? Right. And if, if you look at the past couple of weeks and the games in New York and the game in Chicago, I think it's an indication of the talent level. And it's important to, to recognize and to celebrate those steps but there also is this vision and there's work to be done to get to this vision of this sustainable league and credit to all of the players in the PWHPA because they believe so strongly in this. And uh, it's, it's so important to, to note that it's not just about these incredible players playing at the elite level that believe in the sustainable league. But part of the reason that it's so important for them is because they believe that this will help the grassroots. So girls at the age of five and six and seven and eight that can see them play and and then they want to register and get involved in the game. So I think it's, it's such an important dimension to their approach that yes, they want to have a sustainable league that's their long-term but because they believe it will help the growth of the game and help 
uh, inspire many more people to enjoy and to appreciate and, and to and to enjoy the benefits uh, of a great sport. So we're all hoping that the steps are, are on their way and hopefully a positive alignment down the road with the NHL for that sustainable league um, that all these players believe so strongly in. Natalie, I know we've talked about this before, but how important do you think the NHL's involvement in something is to the growth and sustainability? I mean, I think it's huge. I think we, you know, I look at the past and kind of where women's hockey came from and where it's got to now. And we've had leagues in the past and they've kind of, you know, disintegrated or, or failed in a sense. And I think you look at models like the WNBA and how well they've done and how they had that support at the beginning and now they're able to hold their own. And you look at how much support they have behind them, how many fans watch their games, and you can't even question um, having a professional league now. It wouldn't even be a question to not have one. So I think if we could get, you know, the NHL behind us, get the infrastructure, get the marketing, I know that as soon as people see the product on the ice, they're in awe. They, they can't believe how skilled the players are, how good they've gotten, um, and they want more of it. And I think that that's the most exciting thing is that it's there. The product is there. We just need help to get it out there and to get more eyes on it, um, more fans, more supporters, uh, and, and get that, you know, that professional product there. Natalie Spooner, Jennifer, Jennifer Botterill, Cassie Campbell, Pascal joining us here on Tim and Friends. So, Cassie, I, I love the confidence with which you said that we are getting there. Is there, is there anything that you can share on the same tip as, uh, as Natalie was talking about there? Is the NHL what you're hearing? Like, there, we've, we've constantly had this, you know, these two trains, the NWHL, when we had our league in this country, uh, there was, it seemed to be a split. How do we get them together? And is the NHL able to do that? You know, I don't think you'll get the PWHPA and the NWHL together. And, and listen, this, I think one of the, the issues with the coverage of women's hockey has been that it's the PWHPA versus the NWHL. Listen, if the NWHL survives, that's awesome. It's not the league that, myself or I believe the current players think is the future of women's hockey. That doesn't mean it's not going to be successful. It's not going to be, it, it can be a great league down the road, maybe even a feeder system. Who knows? No one wants women's hockey leagues to fail. Listen, I was part of the Canadian women's hockey league. I was part of the board for a long time to watch that fail was extremely disappointing. It, you know, you, you put a lot of a sweat and hard work into it. No one is wanting any league to fail. What, what the players are wanting, and I guess I can only speak for myself, is we want a dressing room to put your equipment in that's permanent. You want a skate sharpener at the All-Star game. You want tape. You want free hockey sticks. Like, these are just minimal little things. And all these infrastructure things are far more important than even a salary. And, yes, it would be great for these players to, to be paid. And not only the players, but the staff, which could be females, hopefully females, from the equipment managers to the general managers to the head coaches, you know, providing opportunities for women and men. And, and I don't think we, we want to be just inclusive to women if we have a professional league. You know, you want to have the doors open. But that's what this is about. And, and I can say when I was part of the Canadian Women's Hockey League, we said we were professional because that's what we had to, to tell our sponsors and, and to make it look like it was the real deal, but it wasn't. You know, we had refs that would show up and didn't even know the rules of the women's game. You know, we had right. different situations that came up from time to time again. And that the thing is that you cannot run a league with one or two staff members. And so 
it's impossible. I mean, you could work hard, you could have well-intentioned people, you could have passionate people, but unless you have a proper infrastructure of communication, marketing, TV rights that are permanent, that they're gonna show every single game, not four to five games a year, and maybe two more online, you know, on the on the, the bottom of the online page, you know, it's just, we, we need an infrastructure that's gonna help make us work. And I believe if we do have that infrastructure, and I know we have NHL teams, at least eight to 10 of them that want a female team. So there is interest. There is interest in giving money to women's hockey and providing a professional format. And so that's what these players are fighting for. And it, it really isn't about themselves because they don't know what's going to happen in a year, what's going to happen in two years, what's going to happen in five years. Right. And they're willing to really put their career on hold. And I think the PWHPA is going to go down as that moment in women's hockey, that group in women's hockey that really, truly made a difference in providing a a professional women's hockey league. Yeah, and we're starting to see it in professional women's football across the pond where you have that synergy between the pro teams that ha that field a men's squad and, and a female squad. I want to go to the Harvard grad, not the honorary degree, because I'm guessing that to get, uh, to get the Harvard degree that you need some time management skills. The one thing that I always go back to when I'm talking about professional women's hockey players is how hard it is to juggle all the points of your life being an elite athlete and also sometimes having to carry a job and having to do things just to pay the bills. Jennifer, can you speak to how tough that is even for elite level athletes and people? Certainly, and a lot of credit to, to everyone that has, has been involved in the women's game. And I think that's why there's such a huge appeal right now for this movement and this direction towards professional women's hockey, because until this point, uh, elite players are juggling so much from uh, the time that, that you're entering your, your university career to, to trying to find places to play afterwards. Uh, it's busy. It's demanding. And uh, you nailed it when you said time management has been, I think, a big part of all of our lives while we try to become the best athletes and the best hockey players that we can and to to represent our country at international events and, and to represent our teams. So I think that's why this this vision for the league is something that all of us connected to the game um, understand how important it is to take these strides. And now that we're seeing uh, these NHL teams that are not only making comments and not only wearing the PWHPA gear when they arrive at the rink for their games, but they're backing it up with actions and the support to host events and, and the venues. And there's comments from Shanahan that we stand with the PWHPA, that they're, it's a together approach. And as Cassie mentioned, these teams have, have the interest and now we're seeing that backed up with the support. And so we're hoping that time management will always be a part of our lives, but we're hoping for many athletes in the future, there can be that focus on being the best hockey player and the best professional women's hockey player that you can be. This will also make our, like the one thing that I talked about yesterday was every four years, there's this huge audience. It's not like we're inventing an audience to come out and watch women's hockey. We have seen that audience show up for national team games before. The one thing that I think a professional league will also do, Natalie, is to build up the national teams as well because more women will get the opportunity to train at an elite level. It won't just be national team members. And as someone who has played both, can you see that that will open up the pool for more players and make the international game even better? 
For sure. I mean, I think right now, like the state that women's hockey is in, it's such a double-edged sword. I mean, it's growing so fast. We have so many young girls getting into it. There's so many amazing players. But at the same time, there's all these girls that are amazing at hockey that also have full-time jobs. Right. So, you know, their focus isn't solely on hockey. And I think if you're able to create a professional league where women can be paid enough that they don't have to have another job, it's going to take the game to a whole other level. And we're going to be able to, you know, just focus on that. And, and the skill's going to go up. The speed's going to go up. And I think that that's a key moment for women's hockey when we do get that league, that we're going to see it see so many more girls being able to see women playing, but also so many more girls that can keep playing post-university and, and take their game to the next level. I mean, I remember when I, you know, came out of university and I was still training, and I, I trained with a bunch of guys, and I, the first thing that really hit me was, well, I'm doing the exact same training as them. Why do I have to find, you know, a way to, to make some money? Because literally, I train just as hard as them. I'm doing the exact same thing. So why can't I just play hockey? Uh, for all of you, to, to finish out the conversation, because I want to go to the NHL next. However, what do you think the biggest thing is, the biggest next step that we need to make sure that this growth is capitalized on? I'll start with you, Cassie. Give it to the old girl first. But, you know, <laughs> I, I think the next step is an announcement. I, you know, that's yeah. to me the next step is the NHL to step up and make an announcement. Hey, we this is what we're going to do. And here's how we're going to do it. And this is when we're going to do it. That's the next step to me. That That's the only logical step and the only thing, in my opinion, that makes sense. Um, and, and, yeah, I'm putting pressure on the NHL because I've sat in meetings and worked with them for a long time and talked and discussed this for a long time. And it is time. It, they know it's time. Uh, they have the infrastructure. Obviously, COVID has hit the league hard and, they, you know, they're, they're losing money as well. So, obviously, timing is not ideal. But the time is now. The time is now for them to step up and make an announcement uh, about how they want to support women's hockey. Um, they've been doing a good job so far, but I know they can be better and I know they want to be better. And I believe Gary Bettman as the commissioner will be the guy that starts a WNHL. Jennifer. Well, I think Cass nailed it yeah. in terms of, I mean, that's what you need next. And we've seen the examples now of these individual organizations and teams that have stepped up to the plate to host these events and to, to provide the venues for these showcase events. And now it's the league as a whole to recognize this, this potential uh, and to make it a reality. Natalie, to hear these trailblazers say what they just said, does it give you hope? For sure. I mean, I think, you know, when we got to play last year in the Dream Gap Tour, we felt that momentum. Um, we felt, you know, the fan base coming behind us. And I think, obviously, you know, COVID put a little wrinkle in that. But with those games we saw in New York and in Chicago, there's no doubt that there's people who want to watch women's hockey. And you want to see those players like Kendall Coyne, Brianna Decker, going, scoring amazing goals. Um, and I think that, you know, now is the time. And... Uh, you know, we've shown that there is a market out there for women's hockey and we deserve to be shown, we deserve to be seen and that it is now. Agreed. Agreed. All right, time's flying, but Cassie, Jennifer, Natalie have agreed to stick around. We'll break down the latest in Toronto, Calgary, and Buffalo. Oh, Buffalo. Tonawanda, Chictawaga, Depew. The roundtable is assembled on Tim and Friends, three friends to be exact, Cassie Campbell-Pascal, Natalie Spooner, and Jennifer Botterill. Before we get to the north, uh, things are going from bad to worse in Buffalo, and I'm not sure it was possible at this point, 
but it is. And Jennifer, I know your brother was there for a bit, so I'm not asking for inside information. Well, maybe a little kidding. Uh, how desperate are things in Buffalo, and is there any light at the end of this tunnel? Well, if there's one thing in Buffalo, they have dedicated hockey fans that love the game and, and certainly want to see their team doing well. But from a, a player's perspective, you can understand uh, the stars and their frustration. As a player, you, you want to win and you want to bring that uh, to the fans. So uh, I think the fans are, are remaining loyal and, and hopeful that it, um, you know, that they're going to get there and, and see some results. Um, but it, it is certainly tough when the, the players start voicing uh, frustration. But uh, for the Buffalo fans, it would be great to see one day if they can turn it around. I'm not really sure what the Jack Eichel injury is, Cassie, but losing him in the midst of seven in a row, like this is just, it's almost, it almost seems like too much for Ralph Kruger and company. You know, it kind of seems like one thing after another there, doesn't it? And, you know, I love the fact they brought in Eric Stahl to try and help maybe solidify that leadership group and isolate Jack Eichel and, you know, former Stanley Cup winner and obviously good friends and former teammates with Kevin Adams and, um, you know, I think it, for there, it just seems like a lot of people are making decisions there, right? And um, you're, you're kind of wondering who the leaders are and, and who's who's running the show. And listen, ownership groups have the right to do how and lead however they want to. They own the teams. Um, but you, you kind of need to hire good hockey people, which I think they have, and, and let them kind of run the ship. And I think Ralph Kruger is an excellent, excellent person. I think he is still kind of yet to prove, unfortunately, in the NHL that he's an excellent, excellent coach. But I I know that he does things a little bit differently, and I know he's always looking for that edge a little bit differently. Um, and he's just trying to, you know, push some buttons. You know, we've seen Jeff Skinner scratched, um, and he's just trying to push buttons there, but it just seems like one thing compounds another there. Um, and it, to me, kind of seems like there's too many leaders trying to lead, and there needs to be a little bit more direction. Uh, Cassie, while I'm asking sensitive questions of family members, uh, Daryl Sutter, <laughs> for, th for those who don't know, <laughs> yeah. Cassie's got some uh, inside information, an assistant GM in the room in Calgary. I I'm, sure. I'm not, I'm not going to ask the question the way you think I am, but with, with Mike Babcock in the news, with the way people are talking about um, John Tortorella in Columbus, is there any worry that Sutter's old school style could backfire in that room? You know, I, I think there is a, a more calmer demeanor of Daryl Sutter than maybe what we've seen, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I think he has changed to some degree. Listen, he's going to be hard. And if he believes that you're not giving him what he thinks you can give this team, he's going to be really hard. I can tell you just from watching the clips after practice today that like Chris Tanev came out and said this was the best practice they've had all year, the tempo. It's not rocket science. It's not like he's coming in and... He, you know, you've heard the old stories, how you kick someone on the bench and do those things. I don't think that exists in Daryl Sutter anymore. I think he learned, uh, you know, how to make changes from an old-style coach to, to a new-style coach. But he's going to be hard. And, listen, this team has, has been a tough team to coach. This inconsistency, it hasn't been just about this year. It's, it's you know, five or six years now where this kind of core group has been inconsistent. And this is a guy that brought maybe a... Uh, a less talented team in 2004 all the way to the Stanley Cup final. And arguably they won it in game six. So if you ask Calgary Flames fans, but, you know, he just is a guy that seems to get the best out of every type of player, whether it's a star, whether it's a fourth liner, whether it's the seventh D. And um, I, I think he's going to bring a work ethic to this group every day in practice, every day in games that 
really we haven't seen around here a lot. And, you know, honestly, this group has kind of survived best and played best under Hartley, under Bill Peters, yeah. who are two tough coaches. And so um, I, I'm a big fan of Daryl Sutter personally. You know, never mind that my husband works for the Calgary Flames. He's helped me in my broadcasting career. He's always been there and supported me over the years. And so I know him as a person and, you know, even more so than a coach. And he's a great man. He really is. And so I, I, I believe that he could be the guy that's going to push the right buttons here in Calgary. Natalie, while we're talking old school, it feels like there have been a couple more tilts of late. Like I turn on a game and there's Ryan Reeves and Curtis Gabriel. Then Curtis Gabriel's going again. And then he's going <laughs> again. We saw Nurse and Lucic go in the Battle of Alberta. Does Is it starting to feel like 25 or so games in, these guys are starting to get sick of each other? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think we're seeing, you know, some rivalries that have been heightened because of the way it's set up and the way you're getting these, you know, short stints of series. And then you're getting some rivalries that you probably, you know, didn't expect and maybe, you know, Toronto Oilers. So I think that it's exciting. And we saw, I mean, last game, Battle of Alberta, two fights, I think, in the first period. So um, I know when we get into our, you know, six game series against the U.S. leading into the Olympics, it yeah. gets pretty heated. Um, so I, you know, I expect that it, we're going to see more of that. And the closer you get down the line, the games are important and every game counts. And I think that it's just going to, you know, be, be a little bit more fire, um, on the ice for them for sure. Jen, I'll, I'll give the last one to you. Uh, the jets have nine of their last 25 against Toronto, nine of 25. And I feel like with Simmons out, other teams have targeted the Leafs talent. Now, Mitch Marner is just hard to catch. So he doesn't seem to draw a lot of that. But I've seen Matthews take a little bit of a beating. I've seen Tavares get a little bit of a beating. Do you think we could see some old school call to arms? Like if I'm the Leafs, if I'm Edmonton, do you start thinking about bringing that old school tough guy in to protect those guys? Or is that just gone the way of the Dodo bird? You know, it, it hasn't been the focus uh, for those teams with the high-end talent. And if you mention Toronto and you mention Edmonton, yes, you, you, you want to be physical. You need to be able to stand up for yourself. But an example with Toronto is that uh, the majority of their, their games this season, they have been out-hit. Out but they're not letting it interfere with their play. And it may be a result because they do, they are a puck possession team. They like to have the puck, but they have this perspective and this attitude this year that it doesn't seem to interfere with the, the way they want to play as a team. And, and certainly if you're an opponent and you're facing uh, the Leafs, uh, you know, a number of games in a row, and, and if you're the Jets coming up and you know the stretch ahead, it will be an approach to try to slow down. When you have the talent that the Leafs have up front and similar if you're facing the Oilers and you know their talent up front, you will want to be physical to try to slow them down. But again, credit, I think, to the Leafs in terms of their approach this year that they don't want it to interfere with how they want to play as a team. And we've seen adjustments from the leadership that's come in and Thornton and Spezza and, and the coaching philosophy that even in little things like the, the Leafs have been stretching their, their forward to the far blue on breakouts. And even though they like to have puck possession, if they need to do a smart dump, instead of creating a neutral zone turnover, they're putting the puck deep. And it's these subtle adjustments that um, have made them very effective. So in terms of a different strategy or, or, or plan of attack, I can't see that happening or having an overhaul, but recognizing teams might be physical, but adjusting, adapting, rolling away from pressure, and you said being evasive uh, to avoid some of that physicality that other teams may try to do um, to, to be effective against them. 
Listen, uh, this was a true test of Tim and Friends. We did a round table that's kind of square, in boxes, via Zoom call. I really appreciate you doing the test run with me and getting it done. Thank you very much for doing this, guys. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. First ever round table. Appreciate it. After the break, Cardinals outfielder, Maple Ridge native, Tyler O'Neill joins me to talk about his upcoming MLB season and the importance of mental health and the mental game campaign. Back in two minutes, Tyler O'Neill on Tim and Friends. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Last call with digital producer Jesse Rubinoff coming up. We've all become pretty familiar with Movember and its commitment to men's health. Movember, however, is about more than just one month, especially in a year that has been this stressful for this many people. Sportsnet is proud to have partnered with the Movember team to create content and a content series called The Mental Game. In it, we see familiar top athletes open up about battles that they have faced both on and off the field. Gold Glove winner, St. Louis Cardinals outfielder and good old Canadian boy, Tyler O'Neill is one of those athletes. Here's a preview. I definitely had to have a switch in mentality of no more, no more blowing up, no more letting the sport get the best of me. I definitely was a bit of a hothead. I tried to stay to myself, but I would blow up. I did break my hand in the minor leagues, punching the wall, being fed up with striking out or doing some dumb stuff. Um, but those things only happen once in your life, and they're okay one time, as long as they don't happen again. I was able to meditate daily. I was I would sit there for hours just thinking, just being off in my own world and, and it, it was great. I feel like I've I've changed a lot and I've changed for the better. Everything that's important to me is is I feel like is is more of a topic of conversation rather than confrontation. I feel like I matured, I feel like I grew up. Again, you can catch that full feature in other episodes at sportsnet.ca slash the mental game. By sharing his story, Tyler hopes that he can get Canadian men to level up their mental fitness, and he's also taking some time to join us now. Uh, thank you for doing this, Tyler. Really appreciate it. Hey there. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate, uh, that. appreciate that. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's so important that big, tough guys like you talk about this stuff so that guys and girls who think they can't realize that they can. Why did you decide that this was important to you? Yeah, I mean, I think we all go through a little bit of something um, in the end. But, you know, it's, it's, it, what it comes down to is um, the people that are able to persevere and overcome their obstacles. You know, those are the guys and, and the girls that are going to be successful in life. And uh, I think that goes without saying for, for every aspect in any field that you're a part of. I think you and I might be a little similar. Like, I've been accused in the past of being a little too intense. Um, when did you realize that you needed to do something about it? And then how did you do it? Um, well, I just kind of, just kind of grew up being a hothead teenager. Um, that's, that's kind of, that's how it lit my fire is what got me going. It's what made me uh, successful, uh, at a young age. And I'm, I'm very happy that I was that way, but I'm also very happy for the fact that I was able to mature and grow up and just be able to realize that, um, you know, punishing yourself in certain ways probably isn't the greatest idea. Not saying, um, 
you know, that we can't, we can't be down in the dumps here and there, but, um, you know, especially in a sport like baseball, uh, everybody goes through slumps and it's just a matter of getting out of those and, and getting back to being right and being you and um, identifying yourself what it takes to, to break those barriers. You know, it's funny. I, I never stop. And when the pandemic hit, I discovered meditation. And I thought to myself, like, how have I never done this before? It didn't cure me, but sure. but man, d- does it help? Like, it helps a ton. When did you discover it? And you know, like, I think we showed the vi- the video of you doing a little meditation, doing a little yoga. And I think there's a lot of guys out there that are used to just pushing weights, you know, acting like big tough guys, and don't want to go and do that. But when did you discover it? When did you realize, oh man, this can really help? Yeah, the weights are great, um, and that's obviously for me. That's what got me um, kicked off and, and fired off to play ball in, in the States. Um, but, you know, I really learned how to just calm it down and, and take it easy during the quarantine. When sports got shut down, I was um, down here in Florida. We were a couple weeks in the spring. Um, parents just left from their annual trip down here. Uh, my fiancé just left as well, so I was pretty much just down here alone for three or so months and um, obviously with the new border restrictions and didn't know how that was going to turn out. So I had to find time to kill and um, just ended up doing a lot of stretching, a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation and just enjoying time with myself. And, you know, I feel like I really broke through a lot of barriers there. Um, You know, just, just thinking, just being myself and, and being able to identify what makes me successful and what is going to keep me successful, keep me on the field and uh, just keep pushing forward. Uh, speaking of pushing, Tyler O'Neill joining us. He's a gold glover. He's a Canadian, and he plays for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, your dad could push some weight back in the day, no? Yeah, he definitely could. <laughs> um, he's a big-time bodybuilder back in uh, back in the day, and uh, you know, he's damn proud of it, and he should be. Uh, nice. Um, before I let you go, I want to talk a little baseball, because when I, when I talk baseball, especially when it's cold out, Tyler, and I think you know this, uh, it feels like the warm weather is coming up here north. Um, there are a lot of opinions on the NL Central since the Arenado deal. Does it, does it feel like you guys stack up? Um, well, I don't really pay attention to opinions of writers or anything like that. Um, what it comes down to for us is we know that we're a squad. We know we have great chemistry. Um, we know we're, we're damage dealers one through, one through eight, one through nine in the lineup. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're ready to show it this year how good we are. You know, we've got a really good squad, and we're really excited to get this year going. When you talk about that chemistry, when a guy comes in like Arenado with a big name, how easy is it to take him into a clubhouse? Uh, do the leaders get involved, or is he smooth enough that he knows how to do it too? No, no. He was, uh, he was a homie right away. He's one of the boys right off the bat. Uh, that's exactly what you want, especially from a big-time dude like that. Um, you know, just that fit in right away. So we're excited to have them, and uh, we're excited again to get this going. Is it just nice to swing the bat and do the things that you've been, you know, doing your entire life? Because we sit out this pandemic, that time to yourself, very good. But is it nice to just kind of get out and do the things that you've done your entire life? Yeah, you know what? It was good to take a step back. That's for sure. I think a lot of us needed it. Um, in hindsight, I definitely did. Uh, I learned again. I learned a lot about myself, and just to be able to. To put things on pause for a minute and really reflect and appreciate what we have is uh, is a big key and it's definitely a big positive uh, going forward. So we're um, I'm excited about it and we're all excited about it as a squad. Listen, uh, I said this. Uh, we had Tyler Mott on earlier under the same campaign. Uh, 
it, it hits close to home. It's not easy to talk about this stuff, but I know a lot of the audience uh, appreciates that you do this. Uh, so thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, let's talk uh, all baseball next time you join us. <laughs> that sounds good to me. All right. All right. Be well. Thank you. There talk is, next time. There is uh, Tyler O'Neill, who is an uh, up-and-comer with the St. Louis Cardinals, Maple Ridge boy, uh, and as we saw last year around this time, uh, there's been some success with the Maple Ridge boys. For those who don't know, Larry Walker, baseball Hall of Famer, also from Maple Ridge, BC. I bring Jesse Rubinoff back into the fray for our last call here on Tim and Friends. You got a few things on that uh, computer yours? I do. We got a pretty big night ahead for one Patrick Kane, one of the early favorites for the Hart Trophy. Kane will play his 1,000th career NHL game uh, against the Stars tonight. You can see the game on Sportsnet at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. And now I ask you, Timmy, is Patrick Kane the greatest American-born hockey player of all time? There is a lot of competition, but that is the question. I, uh, I saw this earlier on the Tim and Sid socials. Yeah. And there seemed to be a lot of people who were upset at the equation. And I think it's just old school. For, listen, Brett Hall was great. Chris Chelios longevity mm-hmm. one of the great defensemen in our league um mike medano yeah pat lafontaine there's great names but the resume speaks for itself for patrick king it's it insane not? it's insane three cups yep an art ross a heart like he's basically done everything scored uh cup clinching goal. goal yep that was memorable yeah i mean the guy's Even pretty much some people done didn't it know it went in yeah <laughs> <laughs> many people i didn't know when yeah. i was watching uh what about uh Austin Matthews, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm going to get clobbered even for mentioning the name. But I'm saying the trajectory that this guy is on. He's got so much to do. But I'm just saying in terms of young players That's what people are getting pissed off about Kane. They're saying he's not done yet. He's not even close to done. But the resume already is really nice. It's very impressive. And we did, as you mentioned, ask the people earlier on Twitter. And I do have some responses that I want to get to when it comes to Kane. So we asked, is Patrick Kane the greatest American hockey player, and AJ says, believe he's one step ahead of the previous greatest. Now, that's good content, that picture. You got him right one step ahead of Mike Medano. Uh, I so. see, I see. There's a picture. Pretty good. There's nice Medano. job, AJ. Good job. And we got another one. Tough call, says Andrew. I'd say right now it's between him, Medano, and Leach, Leach but by yeah. the end of his career, Kane will be the greatest American hockey player of all time. No question about it yeah Brian Leach without a doubt I should yeah. have mentioned that when I was mentioning well, I was thinking be best forwards defenseman. I was thinking goal scores yeah. Hall of Famer gotcha he can be best defenseman okay do you want to move on to the second last call question sure well we got on one hand one of the American greats in hockey and on the other hand one of the all-time greats potentially in the NBA if you think so Chris Bosch is among 14 finalists for the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame class of 2021 Paul Pierce is another of the first-time finalists. The class will be announced on May 16th and will be inducted in September. Is Chris Bosh, Timmy, a Hall of Famer? I don't get this argument. Yeah. Like, I don't... And I know that for some it has been an argument. Like, if you look at the numbers, I don't know off the top of the dome piece, uh, as shiny as it is, how many All-Star games there are, but I think it's like nine. Okay. Okay? We can can Wikipedia it. Yeah, yeah. I got it. 11. It's 11. 11 All-Star games. Yeah. The championships, the 11 All-Star... Like, anyone else with his resume Mm -hmm. is in the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame. Not only that, he's the top five scorer on two franchises. You got the Toronto Raptors, of course. Right. 
and the Miami Heat and the history of the Miami Heat, you got guys like LeBron and Wade, and it's like a jam-packed star power in the Miami Heat, and Bosh is right there. Yeah, 11-time All-Star championships, you get into the Hall of Fame. Like, that's just what you do. Yeah. And I under... The, if if you're going to lean any way on the argument for Chris Bosh, he had his career shortened by injury. That adds to the equation. That's like, the he would have added to the total. He yeah. would have added to the numbers. For me, this is as easy as they come. Uh, I don't know if he gets in now, but by the time Christopher Wesson Bosch uh, gets to, you know, a uh, a gray-haired older fella, he is going to be in the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame. Where do we look at Chris Bosch when it comes to Raptors franchise history? Because I know this is a... Oof, this is we're talking about Lowry today. It, we can work it in because we have the Lowry news potentially on his way out. Maybe, hopefully not, if you ask me. You got DeMar, obviously. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Well, yeah. I like, I like seeing Kyle, and I would like to see the fans be able to pay him his due in person. And I'm not sure that it's the same Ooh, when he, okay. he comes up and he's rocking a 76ers uniform back at Scotiabank. I'm not sure I like it the same way. I want him to be in a Raptors uniform. Well, he can uniform. resign as a free agent. He can. Do you think, so that's, you just, do you think that's plausible, you though? You just want the goodbye? I want the goodbye. I think he, he deserves it. If we're going to crown Kyle Lowry the greatest he Toronto is. Raptor ever then don't you think he deserves some sort of goodbye and not in this pandemic, weird season that we've had? I just think that he's of great value right now. Mm. And if he's not going to come back, and hopefully you've had that conversation with him, yeah. if he's not going to come back and he wants to play for a winner, he's also earned the right to say, can you trade me? Yeah. Because I might be able to get a nice contract. Like, just play this out. If he goes to a contender and that contender makes a run, he could get another deal out of mm-hmm. this, right? And well, I don't think the Raptors, unless they have some sort of run here, are going to re-sign him at the number that he's at right now. Yeah, I think that's right. But what can you possibly get back for Kyle? I mean, he's playing really well, but it's an expensive deal. Right. He's making $30 million this season. So that's a lot of money, and it's hard to work out those contracts. Are you sure that you're going to have a suitor to bring something good back? back? Right. And I think that you will see what he thinks of this team yeah. by his decision, because I think we've all come to this idea that he knows it. Sorry, I, I distracted you on the Bosch part because you brought up no, the Lowry. No, that's okay. Lowry's <laughs> the topical uh, subject today, so I'm totally fine But I think, like, I think everyone has done this right in Toronto yeah. with the Raptors, in Tampa, whatever you want to say. Kyle Lowry will get to choose whether or not he stays or goes, and it'll be good for Kyle Lowry because you're right. It's a sign of a good He franchise. is the groat. Yeah. yeah. He is the greatest 100%. Raptor of all time. And if you can mend the fence with Vince Carter, you can mend the fence with Chris Bosh. Totally agree. Um, but I think Chris Bosh might go in as a member of the Miami Heat if he has his way. Ah, I'm not sure I like that, but that's okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Who cares uh, that, what I think? <laughs> that's it for us. Since Xero, by the way, makes his breakfast television debut tomorrow morning. So if you get it, tune in. It's just the start of his run to The Bachelor. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you chose to be here with us. And we appreciate it. Thank you tomorrow.